Have you found that? If you just make it up as you go along, I'm just joking, I'm not making this up as I go along. But uh, the reality is, uh, it's great to stay at David Mayer's castle out in the countryside. It's pretty amazing. And, uh, and did go jogging, you say, and Dave went past on his bike and I picked up a few stones. And then from quite a distance, was able to hit him a few times on the helmet and uh, then blame it on a magpie. It was brilliant. That, uh, it's uh, good, to, good to be with you uh, this morning. And it's exciting that, that, uh, that there's a, a change of name. Uh, in, in uh, what was Southlife Church and, and now becoming Equippers Church. And, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're honest, Equippers is a tricky name. It's quite hard to spell. Two Ps. Uh, it's quite hard to say if you ever said it on the phone or from Equippers Church, from a what? Uh, I was actually visiting at a school in uh, Chelte, uh College in Hawke's Bay. And, um, and uh, as you know, my name is Pastor Jordan. Very masculine name, and uh, and the prefect who thanked us for being there said, uh, "I'd like to thank uh, Pastor George uh, from e- from Eclipse Church." And uh, I thought, yeah, "That's good, nice, fresh, and minty feel at church." And uh, Eclipse Church is a good one. And uh, but we're Equippers Church, and I think it's it's a terrible name from a marketing perspective. But it's not about marketing. It's about nature, and it's a shift in the nature of who we are going to define ourselves as. So it's not a shift from something that was wrong towards something that is right. That was that was your salvation. That was a good thing, right? This is a shift from something that was then into something that is now. Now we're going to define ourselves as people who are, you know, the, the logo. I don't know if you've seen it. I was part of the team that designed the original one, which was exactly the same as this, but it was, it was straight. This one's been italicized. Someone got paid money to do that. But anyway, this is uh, the logo. And you'll notice it has a little house in it. Anyone seen the little house? It's an arrow, not a house. Uh, And uh, it's an arrow. Because what we are is we're a bunch of people, and, and we understand that the nature of God's work in our life is like the nature of 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 God of of a workman's work on an arrow, right? You don't you, you don't work hard on an arrow without the intention of firing it in anger, right? You don't you don't you, God's work on us is 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 not just to perfect us; He's perfecting us for a purpose. Right, so so we're the, we're crafted by God. We're not quite the artwork of God. The Bible describes us as His masterpiece, but it's craft rather than art that God does. God crafts us for a purpose. Yeah, we're beautiful arrows. We're straightened out by God. We're smoothed out by God. We're sharpened by God. We're made sensitive in the Holy Spirit, but we're designed to hit a target. And and it's the truth of it's the truth of the universe. And you need to probably know it in your. You do know it in yourself, right? You're not just here because because your parents had a great night one night and here you are, right? (laughs) Don't think about it in any detail, right? But you're not here by the decision of a person, right? You're not here through the will of humanity, right? That you exist by the will of God. That in Him you live and you move and you have your being. And maybe you've found God or you're reaching out towards God. Because of His design and His call on your life, God hasn't called you just to save you. He's called and saved you towards His purpose. Amen? So it's good. That's why Equipers Church is we're about, we are, we are about equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. Is our, that's our thing. Slogan. 
But, uh, but what it is, is we're, we're saying, no, I know I'm called to be equipped by God for something. And as we gather together, our influence on each other is, is that we'd be, we'd be sharpened by each other, we'd be straightened out by each other, we'd be made sensitive, that's the feathers on the arrow, we'd be made sensitive to the Holy Spirit by interacting with each other so that we look brilliant on the mantle, no, so that we can fly on the day of battle and hit a target and make an impact for the kingdom of God in the place that we are, amen? So, yeah, so I want to speak a little bit this morning. Um, I don't know what time I'm supposed to finish, so once the last person leaves, I'll stop talking. Uh, and, and I want to talk a little bit about, um, a, a little bit about how, life, how life works. So, is that okay? I'm 42 now, so I've really crossed into the zone where I can talk about how life actually works, right? Because uh, you've, once you've done it wrong enough years in a row, uh, you then can explain to other people uh, how, how to do it. Is that okay? Is that all right, is all right with you, sir? Brilliant. Just checking with everybody. The, um, so some people ask me a lot because I do a lot of public speaking. It's, it's actually the only thing I'm good at. And people ask me, um, often they ask me, do you get nervous? And I, and I, I sometimes I'm really polite. Sometimes I play along and say, oh, yes, Lord, it's very nervous. It's very, it's really very difficult. Um, but I, but it's not, I don't get nervous ever. I love it. I like to be in the center of attention and, um, and, uh, I don't get nervous at all. And I've realized why I don't get nervous is because I've done throughout my life, I've done a series of very dangerous jobs. So I'm not frightened by public speaking. Uh, because I've done a lot of other dangerous, dangerous, dangerous sort of jobs. I was a primary school teacher. I was, I was a youth worker in Auckland. I was a youth worker in Auckland. Well, some of the people who are the youth leaders now in Auckland, I was a youth worker in Auckland when they were youth, right? So that's how dangerous it was. These were dangerous people. Uh, and uh, what else? I was a primary school teacher. That's all. That's my danger. I've been a, a church pastor. At one point, I was legally liable, liable for all of the health and safety for 99 different churches around New Zealand, along with seven others. And we quickly changed the structure so that we're no longer in that position. Uh, but that was frightening and dangerous. That frightened me a lot more than any public speaking that I've done. Um, but the, the reality is I've done a lot of dangerous jobs. Uh, and probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done is primary school teaching. Be the most dangerous job. Uh, people laugh. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, you know, primary school teaching, yes, on the one hand, it's a very easy job. Nine to, four, nine to three, 12 weeks off a year. It's probably the easiest job in the world. I'm just waiting for people to shout me down. That's actually true. It's the easiest job I've ever done um, because I'm a male school teacher, which means you don't have to do any planning or marking. Other people, it just gets done. It just got done. And I don't know why I'm not still a primary school teacher. There may be some errors in my approach that have meant a different career path was a good idea. But um, as a primary school teacher, on, a, on any given teaching in the UK, you'd have to, uh, uh, you know, in the, uh, you know, you break up a fight. At one point, you know, someone's got a broken bit of ruler, you know, waving it around and, you, you know, some kid's got scratches or whatever, you know, and then you have to hand out differentiated worksheets to five different ability groups. You know, you get paper, you get paper cuts. Uh, yeah, laugh at the you guys are laughing at paper cuts. Yeah, oh, well, good luck to you. Next time you get one, I'll laugh as well. But the reality is, it's a dangerous job, and the most dangerous thing I ever did is teaching PE. Now, in primary school, you can't really be a PE teacher, but you can do swaps, right? So I ended up doing a lot of PE teaching and very little maths or English teaching. 
right? Because there's a lot of people who don't like to do the PE teaching, but they're quite happy just to draw sums on the board for little kids. And uh, so what I would do was do a lot of the PE teaching and then hand off my class to other people and swap classes. And, and, uh, and amongst all of the PE teaching that I did, uh, the most dangerous thing you can do is athletics. Teaching is ath- teaching athletics. You know, football's not dangerous. Teaching football, not dangerous at all. Kids are all small. You're not going to get hurt. Uh, the, uh, you, there's a whole bunch of things you can teach. Uh, with the athletics, it's not the, the running's not dangerous because there'll be a fast kid who can do the demonstration. You don't need to hurt yourself, right? You, there's a fast kid there who can do the demonstration. Most dangerous thing is the throwing of heavy objects, teaching, teaching the throwing of heavy objects. I'm unsure why this is still an important priority in school curriculum. But the throwing of heavy objects, oh, helped me out yesterday hitting Dave with the stones. But the throwing of heavy objects is, is, uh, is confined to two particular dif- disciplines, javelin uh, and discus. The dangerous, most dangerous of these being the discus. Yeah, but largely, well, Dave, Dave's like, really? Obviously, Dave. We've phased out the actual javelins, right? Uh, and we've replaced them with little rubber footballs called Nerf balls that whistle, right? But it's two reasons. The action is the same. Same sort of action, uh, and then it's a budget decision and a health and safety decision. And like, if if we wanted to start a conversation about the, the the deficiencies of the current education system, we could start the conversation here. The phasing out of a javelin is a is a it's the beginning of a strange situation where we go to soft soft whistly balls instead of uh, actual weapons, right? But when I was a school teacher, we still had the javelins and um, and uh, we had the discuses, but the discus far dangerous. Now, so. Um, I can remember teaching javelin and discus at Mount Roscoe Intermediate School, 38 kids in the class, um, and we were wheeling shopping trolley. I had a shopping trolley full of discuses, and then a, a bigger kid, he's bigger than me because he's Form 2, he's got, a, he's got a shopping trolley full of javelins. And I, I, I remember thinking two things. First of all, where did the school get these shopping trolleys from? And is it the right thing to really be doing? Uh, but the second thing I thought was, as we were pushing out, is I, I'm going to need some sort of a safety plan. So as we were wheeling these out, I invented a safety plan. And so I, what I did was I lined the kids up in groups of 10. So 10 kids in a row. We had many more discuses and javelins than that, but I thought 10 at a time is probably as many as I can dodge. And the rest of the kids had to stand well back against the fence. And the, they were standing here, and there was a good open space of playing, surf, playing fields and and we're going to throw the javelins, right? So we'll keep it simple, couple of steps, and then just throw the javelin, you know? Not, not, not significantly different than throwing a paper dart, right? But just way more fun because it's an aluminium piece of dangerousness, right? Uh, some people are wondering where we're going with this, but we'll, it's going to be interesting. But anyway, the, with the javelin, just to speed it up, Dave, with the javelin, the reason the javelin's not as dangerous as the discus is because the javelin's going to go that way, 90% of the time it's going to go that way. Inexplicably, 10% of the time it's going to go that way. I don't know how this happens, but there's, it's only one of two directions, right? And the percentages are pretty strong it's going to go that way. But there is a 10% of people who, for some reason, which we'll discuss in a minute, it tends to fly backwards towards their colleagues uh, in the group standing over there, right? At which point we move them to the, over to the side because then it was quite safe. After that, there's some collateral damage, but that's always expected. The, um, the discus, though, because the discus throwing action is slightly more complicated, you're not, you're not throwing like this, you're throwing like that. And that extra bit of complexity is just enough so that the discus literally could go, can go absolutely anywhere. 
Like there's literally no boundaries on where the discus is going to land. There's no safe place for the, for the students to be waiting. There's no safe place for the teacher to be. Uh, there's, no, there's no telling where it's going to go. Uh, there's, there's sort of 40% get it going sort of that way. And then the rest is just completely random, right? No, and again, we weren't teaching them to spin around because that would be, that's hard just to make us believe, right? But the idea, just two steps and then fling a discus, that was enough for the discus to go literally. How many people would, would attest to me that you would be one of those people who would literally not put money on where your discus was going to land, right? You're with me on it, right? But one of the things, one of the things, I learned, one of the things I've learned teaching people to throw uh, heavy objects is when you... When you're throwing a discus, same true of a javelin, right? When, you, when you're throwing a discus, when you're throwing a javelin, when you're firing an arrow, it's interesting how you aim it. So when you're throwing like a rock at somebody, you, you, you see the person and you throw it at them, right? How many people know what I'm talking about? All right, there's that, there's that false prophet. Strike him down, you know? Uh, uh, do we do that in Timaru? That's how we do it in Wellington, you know, just... Take care of things, right? Um, but when you throw in a, a discus javelin, you, you're trying to throw it as far as you can. So, uh, if if we could just demonstrate, let's say if I'm standing over here, let's imagine we'll, we'll shrink the scale down. Let's imagine I could from here I could throw the discus and hit the guitar over there, right? It's probably what it would hit. Probably the most expensive thing over there is what it would hit the guitar, right? Now, so when I'm throwing the discus, let, let's say I'm going to throw the discus in that direction. I when I throw it, I know where it's going to land. You know when you throw something, you sort of know because it's not the first time you've thrown something, right? You sort of know, oh, well, it's pretty heavy. Well, I reckon it's going to, you know, you know where it's going to land, right? Then, then you throw it, but you don't aim where you know it's going to land. So when I, when I throw the discus to hit the guitar, I don't aim at the guitar because if I aim at the guitar, I'm actually going to land in the middle of the stage here, right? So to hit the guitar... I actually have to aim at something differently, right? And so I sort of have to aim beyond where I know it's going to land. My aim is not actually related to where the discus ends up. It's related to some different sort of idea, right? Have you, have you noticed this thing, uh, gravity? Yeah, gravity, it, it's pulling me to you, gravity inverted. It don't, the song doesn't make any sense scientifically, but the, how gravity actually works is it attracts us towards the center of the earth, which is, it's handy in lots of, re, lots of, lots of ways, like obviously hanging washing just keeps it simple. There's, I can, there's probably a few other examples, but this one springs to mind, right? I guess where gravity is really helpful. But what happens is when you throw a thing, the reason it hits the ground eventually, obviously for you, a long way away from me, not very far away, the, the discus hits the ground, right? Because of gravity. And the reality is in your life, when you aim at something, your, 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 your wishes, your hopes, your faith, your expectation is affected by gravity exactly the same way as a discus is. There are forces at work that drag you down. Have you noticed this? There are not, there are not forces at work that propel you forward. Have you noticed this? Like, if you just think, we'll just see whatever happens with the bank accounts and the money. We'll just see whatever happens, right? Do you know what? When you do whatever happens with your bank accounts, do you, do you know what happens? You have no money. Right? If you just think, we'll just, we'll just see what happens with the car. We'll buy the car and we'll just see how it goes, right? When you buy the car and you just see how the car goes, how many know the car breaks down? 
right? For something to go further, you actually have to intervene, right? You have to have an objective that's beyond where you know it's going to land. So when I throw the discus, I throw the discus aiming up there. Like technically speaking, it's a 45 degree angle that you want to throw a projectile on to get maximum distance from the amount of force you're able to put into it. So it's a combination, the distance it travels is a combination of how much force can you put in it and how accurately can you maintain your trajectory. Obviously, if you throw the discus straight up in the air, two things will happen. It won't go very far away from you and secondly, it will land upon your head. Right, so aiming straight up in the air, that's what we tend to do because we're Christians. Yeah, we're going to change the world. Oh, man. Right, but what we need to do is we need to aim above where it hits the ground. So there's two mistakes that we can make in life. We, 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 we try something. I'm going to be this sort of person. And, we, and we, we throw it, and then it lands 11 feet away. And then we, we put a circle around it and say, that was the target. Right? This is the best I can do. That was what I was aiming at all along. But what I think God calling us to, and I feel it when I read Scripture, when I, when I think about the whole, when the Holy Spirit stirs me inside, is to aim beyond where I know it will land. To aim beyond. When we say, Let, let's, let's, be a, let's just be a nice church in Timaru, because we know we can do, we know it's going to land there, right? Let's just be a nice church in Timaru. Do you know the problem is, we won't be a nice church in Timaru. If that's our goal, we'll end up falling short of that. Because you know one of the things you find about goals is you don't achieve them. <laughs> Have you noticed this about goals? You don't actually achieve them. The point of a goal is not to be achieved. There's a, the wonderful thing about football. Have you watched the game of football? A nil-all game of football can be the most exciting game of football you've ever seen. could also be the most boring, but it can be the most exciting game of football you've ever seen. One of the most epic rugby tests of all time was a 3-5 game of rugby, right? The reality is it can be entertaining, it can be engaging without the scoring of goals. Because what goals do is goals bring shape to the whole game. So a game of football with no goals to aim at is just annoying, Right? But a goal serves the purpose whether you achieve it or not, right? So when we're aiming, we're not aiming to be a nice church in Timaru. We're already that, right? I'm just, just, I'm just assuming, right? We're already a nice bunch of people, right? We're already happy. We're, you know, we're already kind to each other. We're already friendly with our neighbors. We're already hardworking employees, we're already generous with our finance. We're already generous with our time. We already bake cakes for people on their birthdays. Yeah, okay. Enough of us do it that we can all claim the glory. Right, the, but the, the reality is we've got to aim beyond just being a nice church. We've got to aim at something bigger than that. We've got to aim at like transformation of the fabric of society. And we won't achieve that. We'll be dead long before it happens. But we've got to aim at it. We've got to aim beyond it. It says in Hebrews 11 that, they, that the, the heroes of faith, they see the promise of God and they welcome it from afar, though not attaining it. They can still see it. They can still throw at it, right? Because if we're going to be the best we can be, we need to aim at eternity. Because see, when you aim the discus, you're not aiming at the trees at the back of the field. You're not aiming at the, the hills in the distance. You're sort of aiming off planet Earth. You're, you're literally aiming for the stars. 
That's probably a good example of that we really do actually need to shoot for the stars. Climb every mountain high, all that sort of stuff, right? That's a very old song, but anyway, S Club. Ooh, awesome. Now, just because there's people looking very uncomfortable, let's do some Bible bits. Is that okay? This was initially inspired by the Bible, this thing. And so I do have a PowerPoint presentation which hasn't made an appearance just yet. But there was, there, was a, there was a slide saying danger. We've done that one. Let's move on. There's two characters in the Bible that I wanted to talk about. Uh, these two here, uh, they've represented them with colored circles. Uh, the first is Saul, who was the king, first king of Israel, and the second is David, who was the second king of Israel. Right? We've already heard mention of David. Uh, uh, these two characters in the Bible, I think they reflect this truth really powerfully. How many people have read the story of these two guys or heard the story of these two guys? And it's pretty interesting. They're an amazing comparison because they were contemporaries. They're, they're, they overlapped. Their lifespan overlapped. They were actually knew each other. They were friends. David actually was working for Saul in the army. They, 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 their lives completely overlapped. And their lives were significantly similar, like probably more similar than any other two characters in the Bible. These two guys, King David and King Saul, right? So they, they were both called by God. That's how they became kings, because they were called by God, right? They were both, they were both called. That means that it's, like this, it's not like God's like, you know, it's God. that's not the call of God. The, the, like, it's not like your mum, you know, did you, anyone's mum like a yoo-hoo? Like it's a previous generation thing. Not my, we, our, in our generation, it's not acceptable. But in a previous generation, my mum, we didn't knock on doors. Doors weren't locked. Doors were usually open, right? And if, if you wanted to find out if someone was home, you didn't knock on the door. You just said, yoo-hoo. Anyway, do you know what I'm talking about? Right? That's not the call of God. God's not you hooing at you, right? If the, the way the call of God works is that if you exist, He's called you. Right? If you exist. So sometimes we think the call of God is, is about uh, special people like Pastor Tico, that, that's, that's different. He's just amazing. He's just a very good example of a person. But the reality is that the, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that God determines the boundaries of our habitation or who would rise and who would fall. The Psalm says that He knitted us together in our mother's womb. Sounds very uncomfortable, right, for the, for the mother, right, as the needle, all that going on. Right? God knits us together in the, in the mysterious, in the, in the, in the infinity Think about the infinity of a mother's womb. Think about the infinity of human existence. God knits us together, right, with the threads of our ancestry. And then we're born in a place in time. Because he wanted one of you to be made out of all of your ancestors, to be born in, in the place and the time in which you were born. If he didn't want you, you wouldn't be born. Right? If he didn't really want you, he wouldn't have planned it like that. He wouldn't have, just in a single conception, is a one out of millions opportunity that someone got. Who you are was determined by massive odds. Once it was just, when you were just two cells, that was a miracle, those particular two cells. And from there determined your biology and a whole lot of other things from which which of the little things won the race, right? Do we, I have no diagram for that one, but but the reality is, the reality is, King David and King Saul—they're both called by God. So are you. 
right? They're both chosen by God. They were both anointed. King David and King Saul, they were both called and chosen. They were both anointed. In fact, they were both anointed by the same prophet. The prophet Samuel anointed King Saul. The crazy story, King Saul was looking for donkeys. Samuel wakes up in the morning and said, someone's going to come looking for a donkey. Have you seen my donkeys? What do they look like? Oh, gray, big ears. Yeah, I think I might have seen it. But the reality is how, you know, this is an amazing, interesting. Ancient people, they knew a different donkey. They, could, they looked at a donkey, they said, that's not my donkey. Amazing. We've lost some, so much. We've lost so much. Right? Kings, as the prophet Samuel wakes up, God says, hey, someone's coming looking for donkeys. Anoint him as the king of Israel. Sometimes you wonder, what qualifies me to be used by God? You just, I don't know. Maybe you just need to be sort of wandering about the place doing something. What are you doing? I'm just, I just, I'm a school teacher. I'm working in a cafe. I'm a local pastor. Just doing a thing. What are you doing? Well, I'm looking for donkeys. Why are they lost? They're just, uh, why are they lost? Because they're stupid. Why are they stupid? Because all donkeys are stupid, right? If, like, if we're the most advanced biological thing on the world, right? How dumb are animals, right? Like, if humans are the smartest, how dumb are animals? Have you met me like that? I just talked to this guy. This is awesome. No, they're Have you met? How many people have you met, right? How dumb must a dog be, right? If your dog is not as smart as your brother-in-law, and how dumb is that dog, right? Anyhow, come on, what, you, God wants to anoint you. Just get, get, just get out into it. Get into it. Do something. Find a donkey. Look, I don't even need to find it. I don't think he found them anyway. He was just looking for them. He wasn't even good at the mundane thing he was doing. He wasn't even a good pastor, Dave, but God anointed him. Come on, there's truth there. We can't all be Tico. Some of us have to be unuseful, right? And God still anoints us for a purpose because we were called in the first place and we just got to get into it and do something. Well, they're funny, if when David was anointed, what was he doing? Looking after sheep. Why was he looking after sheep? Because sheep are not as smart as donkeys, right? The sheep needed someone to look after them in case a lion came. Like, if you can't recognize danger when there's a lion, and the sheep's like, well, I wonder what that is. You know, sheep, you walk up to them, they just look at you. Like, I could be anybody. Right, so they were doing something, and God, and then God anointed them. <laughs> King Saul knocks on Samuel's tent. Then he said, Yoo-hoo! The knocking not working, and the Samuel comes out, and says, I'm looking for donkeys. Of course you are, and I'm going to anoint you. And he pours a liter of olive oil on his head, you know, just like Pam's extra virgin. Just raw. I don't know what you do next, right? Okay, I'm looking for donkeys. Oil. This was a good suit. This is my donkey catching suit, now ruined with oil, right? David, same thing. He's out tending the sheep. They find him, bring him back. Same jar. Same olive oil recipe, bloosh, half a liter of good stuff over the head of the man, right? Come on, we're called, we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, or we can be, right? We're just like David and Saul, we're called, we're anointed. These two, David and Saul, both phenomenally successful. They both had massive success. 
Saul was the, the first king. He was the first to beat back the enemies of Israel. The, the people were pressed in. They had bad land and they had limited space. And, and, and once he became king, he pushed back and created space for other people. They were massively successful. David took it even further. David's first outing was to kill Goliath, right? And he actually went upwards and onwards from there. Right? It was a really good start. We're going to kill a 15-foot man with a stone. Right? It's pretty amazing. They're both phenomenally successful. They're both called. They're both anointed. They're both phenomenally successful. And they're both terrible failures. They both made hideous moral failures. The first was King, King, King Saul. And we'll read these couple of scriptures. Is that okay? Okay, so let's have a look at this. Um, Samuel said, what have you done? Like when your mom, That's the first thing your mom says when you get home. You better have a really good story, right? What have you done? And then Saul says, when I saw the people were running away, and you didn't come. I was expecting you, and you didn't turn up. And then the Philistines had got together at McMash, and I said, now the Philistines are going to come down, down against me at Gagal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. I forced myself to do the wrong thing. Have you ever had to do that? You want to do the right thing, but you forced yourself to eat the whole chocolate cake yourself. I, I, really wanted to, I really wanted to share it with my friends, but I forced myself to eat the whole chocolate. You did, he, what a liar, right? I forced myself. And what he'd done is he'd offered the burnt offering that Samuel was supposed to do. Right? So it's a bit technical. He was a king. Samuel's a prophet and priest. It was really the priest's job, not the king's job. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You didn't keep the command with which I commanded you, if you had, look at this, then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So your discus hit the ground, but God wanted it to fly forever. Right? It would establish you forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out, check this out, a man after his own heart. Right? That's, if, if those are listening on the internet, I made a gesture pointing upwards to my left. Right? After his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you to do. Interesting. He did, Paul, uh, Saul makes the same mistake again a couple of chapters later. Does the same sort of thing again. He, in this one, he kills some people, not the right people, keeps the wrong people alive, keeps some animals alive that he should have sacrificed, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Again, pretty technical. He was supposed to kill a bunch of people, didn't do them, he did, killed some other people. It's like, oh, people got killed, God. It was close. It was really close. Some people got killed. Some people didn't. That was sort of the same thing. You know, we're splitting hairs now. But anyway, this is what Samuel says. I'm not returning with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. And Samuel, as Samuel turned to go away, Saul grabbed hold of the skirt of his robe. Not a skirt, like the edge of his robe. He wasn't a cross-dresser, right? And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given to a neighbor of yours who's better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he's not a man that he should have regret. Doesn't, God doesn't make mistakes, right? Doesn't, God's not panicking. And then Saul says this. Check this out. I have sinned, but honor me now in front of the elders of my people and before Israel. Come with me that, and, and we'll worship the Lord together. So Saul's like, yeah, I've got it wrong, 
I'm going to lose the eternal promise. Okay, that, that's cool. But could you come with me to the party so that I don't, I don't look awkward? How many of you know this is someone who's not really thinking it through? I've lost the eternal promise, but if you could sit next to me at the party, then I'll have someone to chat with and I won't feel awkward. And I'll look cool because I'm hanging out with you, right? Let's look at David, right? So what David did was significantly more frightening. So David is later on, this is much, much later. David's the king, maybe it's 25 or 30 years later. David's now the king. He's replaced Saul. He's been an amazing king, done a lot of really good things. And then he, he's supposed to be at war. Instead of being at war, he's up on his balcony and he's looking out over the city because it's bath time. And so he's looking over the city because he wants to look at someone's bottom, right? So he's looking out. It's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. He's looking out and uh, he sees someone bathing because bathing on the roof of her house, sort of across the street. Uh, why was she bathing on the roof of the house? Because that's what they did. Why was he up there looking? Because he knew that people would be bathing on the roof of the house, right? So he's sort of just like you and I. If you're a man, that's what he was doing. He was looking out, right? And uh, in the end, he, he uses his kingly power to say, go and send someone to fetch her. She comes. He seduces her, then sends her home. But then she sends a message and says, oh, I'm pregnant. How many this gets awkward now because her husband was away at the war that David was supposed to be at. Uh, and again, I don't have a diagram for this, but if your husband's away, you don't get pregnant. You just don't. It's one, of the rule, it's one of the rules. It's been a rule for a long time. Don't get pregnant if your husband's away. Unless your husband's got some serious mojo, right? And if, if he can really make it happen at a distance, then they're all fair play to you, right? But uh, in most cases... If the husband's away in another country, it's not right for you to be pregnant, right? So David has a plan. He calls the husband back just to give a report on the war. Calls Uriah back and says, Uriah, how's the war going? Great. Gets Uriah good and drunk and says, Uriah, why don't you go home and relax with your wife? See what's happening here? Okay, if you don't, talk to your mum. Anyway, Uriah doesn't go and stay at his own house. He sleeps with the guards at the palace because he says to himself, well, my men, my soldiers I'm in charge of, well, they're sleeping in the open. I'm not going to go home and have a good time with my wife. I'm just going to stay here. Right? Then he goes back to the battle. Uh, so plan failed. So anyway, David comes up with a much better plan, a battle plan. He says, let's attack the city, get as close as you can to the wall. And then when the fighting's really intense, everyone pull back, but don't tell Uriah. It'll be hilarious. Don't tell him. It'll be funny. Right? In the end, what happens is they do exactly that. They pull back, and Uriah gets killed along with some others. It's like, again, people talk about the Bible being the good book. There's a lot of bad, like there's a lot of bad in it, right? It gets good at the very end. Up until then, it's full of terrible, terrible stories of hideous people doing horrible things. Uh, and this is the best one, right? Anyway, because Uriah dies, David then marries Bathsheba, Nobody knows. It's the perfect crime. You could make a Netflix series. It's the perfect crime. And the only person that knows is God. And then God tells one of his mates, who's Nathan. Uh, and Nathan goes to David, tells a cool story about a little sheep, and David's real angry. And then, then Nathan says, you were the man. God says, I anointed you a king. I gave you all this stuff, and I would have given you heaps more. Right? I would have added to you much more. Why have you despised the word of God to do what's evil? You struck down Uriah with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Ammonites, sorry. Now, therefore, 
It gets bad, right? Don't always read this scripture. If you're a young person, just brace yourself. The sword of God will never, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you've despised me, you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite. How many know this is a bit, this is, seems worse than what Saul did? Saul like sung a praise song instead of a worship song and a few things like that. Did the communion wrong. David killed a guy and took his wife. And then this, this punishment's massive. Right? The, the baby that is going to be born ends up dying as well. Right? The sword will never depart from your house. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up evil against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, right? In a public sort of a way. You'll be shamed and humiliated in the most intense way possible. Right? And David responds by, by, by writing Psalm 51. I've sinned. I've, I've, I've got it wrong. It's, it's in a different version of this PowerPoint. I've seen the wrong one. Right? And, and he says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit with me. Read through the Psalm. It doesn't say anything about save me from your punishments. He doesn't say, don't, don't let my wives be taken from me. Don't let there be a civil war. Don't let the baby die, right? He does pray all those things. But in the psalm, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation, right? So here's the deal. These, these two guys, this comparison comes down to a couple of points. Check this next slide. Saul was happy to give up eternity for personal honor and social comfort in time and space. Yeah, I've lost the kingdom, but I just want to be comfortable now. I'm just going to draw a target on the grass where my discus landed. Right? Because both of these people didn't throw the discus very far. They're both abject, complete failures. Like some of you. Slash all of you. Right? I'm not going to name any names. Right? <laughs> I don't need to know you to know that your life doesn't measure up to this other thing, which is called the glory of God, right? Because if your life did measure up to the glory of God, right, all of us would all melt, right? The reality is we all fail as human beings, right? We all fail, right? But Saul just wanted to draw a target around and say, okay, this is the mess I'm in. Just make me feel comfortable in it. As long as I feel even social comfort. So that I don't feel awkward. So nobody, as long as nobody knows, right, then I'm happy, right? Who cares about the eternal promise, right? David, on comparison, David accepted the crushing consequences of his sin in the here and now. But he begged earnestly for the restoration of his eternal promise and the salvation of God. See, here's how, this is how life works. If you just draw a target around whatever you happen to land in, you never can rise up to what God called you to be, right? You never will be satisfied with where you've landed either, right? The reality is life is like throwing a discus, but it's like throwing it more than once. We throw the discus, and fortunately it doesn't go very far, so we just have to walk a few feet to pick it up. And then what you do is you bend over, pick up the discus, and you throw it again. 
And this time, you don't aim low. You aim as high as you can. Right? Do you know what the difference between immaturity and maturity is? Mature people know they will fail, but they still aim high anyway. A mature business knows that it's not going to go perfectly, but they still aim like it will. That's what maturity is. Mature teachers are aiming for all of their kids to achieve. They know some will fall behind, but they're aiming for all of them to achieve, right? Mature parents are aiming for their kids to grow up to be the best possible children ever born. They know that they won't. Right? If you lock in your expectation to what you know to be true, you miss the whole point. You run the race to win. Will you win? Well, you don't know. What are the odds, though? It's only sure if you're the only one in the race. Not technically a race anymore. Right? If you're running the race to win, what are you risking? Massive disappointment. Otherwise known as massive disappointment, a.k.a. life. Anybody agree? Oh, yeah, yeah. The man there, he agrees. He's got a hat on. So the rest of you didn't come to church with a hat, so I'm going to go with him. Hey, the reality, life is about massive disappointment. And people who are good at it are people who don't just sit around in it. They pick it up and aim again. Aim for something transformational. Aim for something eternal. Aim for the kingdom of God, the promise of God. Like Dave was saying before, the promises of God are yes and amen. And we pick up our discus and we throw it again because we know that if God called us, if we exist, He called us. He's chosen us. We know that we've opened our heart to His salvation and His Holy Spirit anoints us. We've been fashioned as an arrow to hit some target somewhere, and as long as it's not, as long as we're not dead, we can pick it up, and we can aim again. Amen? Very good. This is how Jesus put it, because it's good to bring it to that, this, right? Don't be anxious. That's quite, that's quite strong. People talk about Jesus all the time. Oh, he's such a good, you know, just a real good person and loving person, and his teachings are so just encouraging. Most of what Jesus teaches is impossible. Don't be anxious. Oh, okay. Now I'm anxious about how anxious I am. Why is everything Jesus said impossible? Because because it's supposed to be. It is. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It says, "Don't don't get angry at anyone." What? I'm angry at Jesus now because that's hard, right? Because the whole point is. You can't, you can't walk with God without God's presence inside of you, without the grace of God filling the gaps in the first place and then growing you towards it in the second place, right? So anyway, don't be anxious about anything. Just write that in this. Oh, okay, stop being anxious. Tick. This is the things Jesus said not to worry about. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Some of us are worried about getting a new TV. He's saying don't worry about what you're going to eat. Or what you're going to drink. Some of us are like, well, should we go red or white or rosé? Jesus Jesus here is saying, don't worry if there's no water. These people live in a desert. Don't worry. No, I've got no water. I've got no worry. What are you worrying about, Tico? Because I'm worrying about the fact I have no water. Don't be anxious, Tico. 
And so how many of you know this is pretty amazing? See, that is a picture of what the grace of God does in us. The grace of God transforms our expectation and our view of the world to the point where we can live in a desert without worrying about water. It means you can live in Timaru without worrying about an economic downturn. You can li- I can live in Wellington without worrying about escalating house prices. I can live in New Zealand and not worry about the fact that we've got a crazy communist government. The reality is, we <laughs> that's a joke, people. It's a Freudian joke, but it's a joke nonetheless, right? Don't worry about what we, do you get the strength of that? Wow, this is the grace of God. The grace of God allows me to live in the desert and not worry about water. Right? What shall we wear? I have no food, but I'm not worried. I have no water, but I'm not worried. I am completely naked. How many know that's quite an anxious thing? Right? This is, that's the definition of anxiety. Right? That's the dream you've had since you were 15, right? There you are at school, walking down the hall. Suddenly you realize you forgot one thing that morning was all of your clothes. The reality is the grace of God can position you. Now, we don't get around naked, but be comfortable without the things you need. With it, you know, like be comfortable going to war without a sword. Be comfortable going into the housing market without money. Uh, what else? Where else? What's another naked? Be comfortable starting a business when you haven't done one before. Be comfortable launching out with a new church name and a bigger vision. Right? Even though, yes, you're naked and everyone knows that. The reality is the grace of God empowers us in a way that's this big, right? How does it do this, though? You know your Heavenly Father's going to, He knows what's going on. God knows you need food and water. He made you, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How many know that's a relatively significant ambition? That somehow your faith, vision, expectation is going to scratch at the membrane between time and space and eternity. That's a great business plan. A business plan that scratches at the membrane of eternity that somehow wants to position there. What are you believing for in your neighborhood, in the cul-de-sac you live in, for your neighbors next door, people across the road? We met with our bank manager the other week. I won't tell you why we had to meet with the bank manager, but it was one of those great meetings. Met with the bank manager, and we came, and we had a, it was great because he said, how are you making money? I said, I'm doing traveling ministry. And he was like, so I had to explain to him what I do. We came out of the meeting thinking, oh, I reckon the next time we talk to him, we'll be able to actually present the gospel. Because he's like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Why? We believe in our bank manager is going to get saved because we haven't been paying the mortgage. So, it's, not, it's not always the best strategy, but, but we're believing that somehow the, the fact that we are who we are and that we're aiming beyond here and now is going to influence our bank manager to find salvation. Right. Why? Because we, we want to be people who are reaching beyond. We, do you know the reality is we know that all of the time our life hits the grass. But our faith and our expectation is always aiming for the stars. So we've got to seek first the kingdom of God and all the other stuff just gets added to you. Amen? Amen. Why don't you close your eyes for a minute and let me pray for you. Is that okay? Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're in this place and And Lord, I thank you that you're the teacher, Lord. It's you who are our guide. 
with the Holy Spirit, the, the promise of Christ is that you lead us into all truth. It was never my job to convince anyone in this room of your presence or the truth of your word. But Holy Spirit, you've been speaking to our hearts. I just, while everyone's got their head bowed, their eyes closed, the first thing I, I want to do is, I really believe there's this opportunity now for you to be ministered to by the grace of God, or from the grace of God. The whole, that the Holy Spirit would make that presence of Jesus real in your world. And I, I wasn't joking when I described life as massive disappointment. It's, it's also, in, a, in, in addition to disappointment, it's, it's also painful and dangerous. And if we don't, that wasn't my voice, by the way, that was just, uh, <laughs> it sounded like I was possessed by spirits. If, you, if you've been if you've been alive for any length of time, you pick up a, a weight of disappointment. And the more times you have to pick up your life and aim again, the more difficult it becomes. But my 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 internal witness is something in me that says today's a day where you can just let go of some disappointment. Because this is today's a day to aim high again. And we've got, we've got a logo for our church with an arrow in it because we're going somewhere. The arrow is pointing straight in the air, right? We're aiming high again in our life. The Equipers Church isn't about us as a group going somewhere. It's about individually, each of us finding again the call of God, the anointing of God, and the purpose of God, and running hard at it. We're, we're a, great, a group of friends challenging each other to run hard at what God's called us to do. But it's real hard to do when you're carrying bags of sand. And so I just want you to, if that's you, you know that, that, that you, you, today, you, before we even leave this room, that you're, you're wanting to let go of all of that sand. That your pockets are full of sand, your hands are full of sand, your hair is full of sand, you've got a backpack full of sand. I just get this feeling that as you open your hands, just even just let that run out. So just wherever you're sitting, just open your hands and just open your heart. And just let some of the weight of that disappointment. Yeah, life is really... It's really, really hard. But it's much harder when you're still remembering all the things that have gone wrong and the mistakes that you've made. And so much better if we can just let go of that. Whether it's sin and you know you just did wrong or whether it's just stuff that went wrong in the world around you or other people's errors and offense, the offensive behavior and their actions and their attitudes and all of it is weighed on upon you. Just, I can just see sand just running between your fingers. It's just a grain of sand. It's just a stream of sand. And all of that weight just lifted off. Holy Spirit, just as you sweep across this room. As we let it go, Lord, take it from us. The weight of disappointment. I just think there's, there's people in the room, or a person, I think, that it's not so much a disappointment that weighs heavily on your heart, but it's a genuine tragedy that weighs heavily on your heart. It's not something that went a bit wrong. It's something that's a bit tragic. And I just really believe the promise of God to you is that His mercies are renewed every morning. That as you wake up in the morning thinking again of that tragic situation, 
Just allow God again to renew your spirit, restore your spirit. Holy Spirit, I just pray for that person right now. I just pray your faith would re-enter their spirit. Lord, that they'd be restored at this moment and in moments in the future, Lord God, that they'd be able to find again your mercy, find again restoration. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as you, as, you, as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here and you've, maybe you've never made a decision to respond to the love of God. The love of God is expressed through Jesus Christ. You know about Jesus because of Christmas and Easter, but the story is as big as the world. That from the moment human beings were created, we've been walking away from the God who created us. God Himself came in human form and died in our place to pay the penalty for the sin of mankind. Not just for the individual wrong things you and I have done, but for all of the wrongness of humanity. Christ died. He paid the penalty. All of the sin of the world was placed upon Him and the punishment with God was meted out to Him. And He died. He he didn't just die. He rose again, conquering that sin, conquering death. And now Jesus is seated in heaven at the highest place. And as we acknowledge Him and respond to Him, two things happen. Firstly, we get set free from our sin, from our human limitation that holds us back, that, that, that holds us down. And secondly, we're empowered with authority in life, where we can go from aiming low and we can begin again aiming high. But it begins with a decision to acknowledge the love of God, the grace of God, which is extended to us through Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you've never made that decision before, or maybe you've, you've made a decision like that before, but maybe you're in church this morning and you know today is a day for you to restore and renew that connection with Christ. If that's you, just while no one else is looking around, maybe just give me a quick wave. Shoot your hand up in the air, give me a quick wave. Make sure I know that I'm praying with you in just a second and we'll pray. Just before we go to morning tea and we'll have a bounce on the bouncy castle. Thanks over here on my left. You can pop your hand back down. That's so awesome. How many other people want to make that decision this morning just to either to recommit, reconnect your life with Jesus Christ or to acknowledge Him for the first time? That's awesome down in the front. So good. Last time, if there's anyone else, just shoot your hand up right now and then we're going to pray. Awesome. God bless you. Could we pray together, church? Is that all right? Why don't we stand to our feet because then our voices will sound better. And let's pray together. Uh, do you know what? If you're too, uh, if you didn't want to put your hand up because you, you just didn't want to, because who, who the heck am I and why, why should you put your hand up? If you didn't, if you didn't want to, don't worry. You can just you can pray this prayer, and it's 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 more about your your connection with God than the fact that I saw your hand. The power of putting your hand up is that you know someone else knows as well. So if if you want to just pray this prayer and then just tell a good friend or talk to Pastor Dave or someone that you know, could I encourage you to just pray this prayer with faith? Which I think when you say with faith, that just means give it, sort of give it heaps. Uh, is that all right? Yeah, is that cool? Let's pray. I'll pray a line and we'll all pray together. That way we stay in time. Here we go. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place, to pay the penalty for sin. Today I acknowledge you, Jesus. I thank you for your love and your sacrifice for me. Today I give you my sin and I receive from you rightness, your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a huge shout of praise? 
So good. Clap for those people responding. And you know, uh, for those of you who lifted your hand or if you didn't lift your hand, you made that decision. Uh, it's really important or it will be really helpful for you to go on a journey understanding what it means to live a life aiming at what you're called to, right? Uh, and there's, there's two things you can do that will uh, make success more likely. I was going to say ensure success, but it's not infomercial, right? But there's two things that make, number one, this church meets here every Sunday morning, right? Just, do you know what you need to do? Just If you just come every Sunday morning, like if you go to McDonald's every week, you'll get the results. Like it will start to show in your life. Am I right? Same, you swear, to guarantee you drink a bottle of whiskey every day, it will change your life, right? Same with church. If you just turn up at church, you'll get the benefits of the grace of God. It will just happen. Same, it's like, same with McDonald's. You don't have to do anything, right? You just have to be there. You have to eat it, but once you're there, you can't stop. Right? Same with church, right? Once you're in church in the environment, then you begin to grow in God. Because God lives in amongst us in a different way than He does independently, right? The second thing you can do is go on a journey to really learn and understand God. And that's about getting alongside somebody else in a class sort of space or one-on-one with someone who knows they only need to know a bit more than you. And there's small groups that happen. There's, there's, there's opportunities for that to happen for you to learn and to grow and to build relationships that will support you in it. Is that all right? So if, if you don't come to church regularly, just start doing it and you'll, you'll find a benefit in it and you'll be a blessing to others. And the same, get into a small a smaller space as well where you can learn and grow. Is that all right? Very cool. Thank you so much for having me. I love being with you. I particularly, I enjoyed your laughter and your support when I asked for it. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me, Pastor Dave. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Jordan. He's a great friend of our house. And I, I told you you're going to be provoked. I told you who's feeling provoked, who's feeling challenged to start to dream again, to start to, to, to send out their lives on that trajectory again, to pick up the discus or the javelin or whatever it is that you need to, to throw again. But uh, I, I, just, I just want us to respond uh, uh, in in one, in, in one particular way this morning, what we do, as Jordan shared, um, he's a traveling minister. And uh, that sounds pretty glamorous, but actually he's trying to feed his four kids uh, and his wife and uh, pay his mortgage, which is not happening at the moment because uh, it's on hold. Uh, so I want us to be able to bless him and to, and to be generous towards him. So we're going to take up a love offering for him. We also, um, our tithes and offerings, if you want to give to them, um, you can do that out in the foyer at the Red Desk. We have a Red Desk now. That's where you go to for those kind of things. Um, so, uh, but the, the other thing that that uh, giving towards Jordan will do, not only will it keep uh, Jordan's family fed, it will also cement something in your life. Because I know that when you give it, um, in response to a message, it's like, yeah, actually, something shifts on the inside. It's not just, because how many you know if you receive something for free, it doesn't mean much? But if it costs you something, then actually you value it more. And actually, so for your benefit, not just for Jordan's family, but for your benefit to give in this space means, yeah, actually, I, I'm setting my life on a new trajectory. This means something to me. So we've got buckets that are going to come past. Uh, if you haven't got cash on you, because who carries cash these days, you can write uh, a little pledge in there um, or you can use your credit card um, slip thing there, do that. Um, while that happens, uh, we're going to finish with a song of praise.